If you knew you were going to die at 45, what, how would you do your life differently? I think that's another lie that kind of pisses me off about being human, that they don't tell us. You can know when you're going to die. You can know that. The astro astrological systems, you can find out. But they don't want to tell you because they're like, oh, no, we, we, we can't know that. And I'm like, what do you mean we can't know that? That keeps us stupid. That keeps us ignorant. It keeps us afraid. We've been denied information. So we have a maturity that has to happen. And this crisis of corona is a gift. I love that we all have to sit at home right now. I love that this is forcing us to rest, that we get the, a moment to be still and be inward and listen. Let's rethink about how we think about death and life so we can get over our fear. This is just to get over our fear so we can go on to what's next, the joy. Welcome to Heartpicker Podcast, and this is episode number one. First of all, I received such a good response from the intro and oh, you guys have no idea how terrified I was and how anxious I couldn't sleep for a month. Ah, I'm just I'm really, 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 really happy. So thank you. I have to say that I woke up today feeling like I was starting a new job. Like this was my first day at that job that I have always wanted. And now that the first scary part is over, all I have to do is focus on my job, bringing out great content for you guys. I had a lot of people say that they felt related to my intro in how I changed my life radically in order to go for my dreams. And I must say, it's really not easy, but it's very much worth it. I had a trip in 2018. I explained that in my intro. It was four months long in Asia, Southeast Asia. And I decided that that's it. I want to be a digital nomad. I want to travel everywhere. But I didn't have the money to make that happen. You know, I'm living in Venezuela with my family at my mom's place. I'm sleeping in my old room. I have to sacrifice my independence. You know, having my own place like I had in Canada. I wish I had my own apartment to live in. And I dream with living in New York or Europe and traveling all over the world but I had to sacrifice that in order to make this project happen and you know what I believe that I will get to where I want to be but I need to make this step first and it's so worth it it's so worth it like Phyllis said in the intro we are creators it is our gift as humans to create and you know what the good news is that you don't have to give up your entire life in order to be creative. Guess what? Being creative isn't just about being an artist. It's actually something that you can apply to everything in your life. I wanted to tell you about Phyllis, our guest for today, who I mentioned in the intro. This is why I'm talking about creativity and sacrifice and everything, because she was a woman who made a radical change in her life in order to become more creative. And by creative, I don't mean she became an artist. I mean, she went for, she went to find the truth she was looking for. 
let me tell you about how I met her first because I, I know a lot of people are asking me that. So I'll quickly tell you this. And, you know, if you don't want to listen to this, the details and you just want to go straight to the interview, I have in the description the, the timing. So you can just skip right ahead and go to the interview. I won't be offended. But for those of you who are interested, here's the story. When I was in Asia, I was looking in a website called workaway.org. I highly recommend this website for anybody who's looking to travel but is on a budget and wants to see places that maybe are too expensive. But if they volunteer, they could go check them out. Um, this is a website where you volunteer in exchange for accommodation. So you don't get money. And you don't have to pay either. Sometimes you do, but it's very small fees. They're all over the world. And you can you can have all sorts of experiences. You can go babysit and stay with a family. Or you can go volunteer at a hostel and party and meet people. Or you could go and do tours and be a photographer. Doing like There's just so many. There's eco-villages. There's farm work. There's everything. And it's it was so cool. I love this website so much. Anyway, I found Phyllis. She I was in Thailand. I really wanted to go to Pai. This is north of Thailand, Chiang Mai. And she lived in Chiang Mai. And she was offering, she needed help with visuals for her website and her workshops. She was giving a lot of relationship workshops on helping to improve sex lives. All this jazz. And I was crazy to know her, meet her, and get to know her and, and learn from her, help her with the visuals, help her with video, photography, etc. Unfortunately, I didn't make it to the north of Thailand, but I stayed in touch with her. I loved her content. She was magical, magical. And, and the, I watched that Eat, Pray, Love movie and I was like, I need a guru. I need a spiritual teacher. I wanted someone to teach me. And I remember I met someone in that trip who said, Lara, stop looking for the spiritual teacher. Stop it. Stop looking for your guru. It's in you. The master shows up when the student is ready. That burned me. I was like, ouch. Okay. All right. Fine. <laughs> I'll stop looking for my spiritual teacher. And in December of 2019... I had spent a year where I was trying to accomplish so much desperately and I was so frustrated because I couldn't get anywhere. I couldn't get far in my projects. I, I, I wanted to do too much. I was too amb ambitious, not too ambitious, just I wanted to do too much and I wanted it all now. I didn't have patience. I wanted to be a photojournalist and I wanted Washington Post to publish my photos already. I wanted art galleries to show my collage work. And I wanted to start this podcast and I was interviewing already, you know, I was practicing. I interviewed a couple artists that I'm a big fan of, but I just didn't, I, I didn't get anywhere. I'd stayed in the paralysis kind of mode. You know, I, I, I didn't, I, I accomplished a lot in terms of photography. I did a lot, I feel like, but I still felt a bit like a failure by the end of 2019. And so I saw that Phyllis put up a post on her Instagram about uh, being a coach for artists, for creatives, and helping people tell their stories. Well, hello, this is what I was trying to do. I was trying to tell my story of this whole journey, you know, how what happened in Canada, why I left, what happened to that trip. There's so much I want to tell, and I didn't know how to tell it. I've had people say, hey, write a book. Maybe you could write a book. Maybe, uh, you know, I never saw myself as a writer. Until I talked to Phyllis and she's like, 
Lara, yes, you got to write a book. Write your book. So she became my writing coach during the last few months. And it was amazing having her guide me, having her give me feedback. She helped me gain confidence in my writing skills. She taught me so much about writing. And she gave you guys a huge gift through this podcast. By She, she was going through a lot of pain and she was still willing to share her story with us and share her final words of advice. This is her life story, guys. So it's not going to be a, a short episode. I will divide it so that you can skip ahead if you want and to certain topics because she covers everything, relationships, creativity, sexuality, everything. Phyllis is a great example of someone who, fuck, if Oprah listened to her, she would be on Oprah. I know she would be. I listen to spiritual stuff all the time. All the content on spirituality, mental health. I listen to that stuff all the time. And I had never heard someone like Phyllis before. So you can skip ahead or you can, you know, I know it's a long episode, but you can pause it and come back to it. There will be part one, part two. I would suggest checking out part one before skipping to part two, but it's your choice. I just hope you enjoy her words of wisdom. This lady is amazing, guys. Here it is, gallery view. I did it. I was trying to do it before you arrived. I'm, I'm not good with tech stuff. They make me nervous. I'm always, I, I was praying. Please, please let everything record nicely and and not have the problem where we can't hear each other or of some, yeah, that always happens or not always. It's I know, I know the feeling, Mama. It's, it's a third, the third partner. If you think of it that way, yeah, it's not the only who's in the room. It's just there's three of us and we all got to get along. Yeah. Okay. <sighs> so Yay. how are you? Well, I'm grateful for being. I'm grateful for being. It is every day is a, a new level of understanding. Really, <laughs> I can't put it in. I'm like, oh, I never thought about that before. That's what I have to say every time. Hadn't thought about that before. And and as different people come in with their stories for you, you know. Today I had the religious people today. Today wow. I had the Christians. These are the Christians friends? They're acquaintances. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, they pop up with their strong beliefs and you know, we want a miracle. I'm like, no, we don't. <laughs> no, we don't. You want one. <laughs> you want your will done, not my will done. And so I, it's, it's, a challenge to gently remind people. It's, it's a lot of times I'm just kind of smiling and nodding, you know, because it's like, I'm not trying to change them now. <laughs> like, you, you do you. You do you. And uh, keep, if it's working for you, because that's one of the things I've realized, whatever you believe, you achieve. So. You yeah, will manifest your belief system. That's powerful that all you have left is just to listen sometimes. 
Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for it. And, you know, you, you appreciate people's um, effort, you know, their willingness to put everything they believe on the table for you. You know, that takes a great deal of courage sometimes. And, and as a former missionary, I say the same thing. You know, I, I remember going out and going, my faith has brought me to the table. My faith has said, I need to do this, if this is the right thing to do. And then I went, yeah, but would I do it if it wasn't from my faith and <laughs> something else outside of me? You know, did I like you before I believed in Jesus? And I'm like, mm-hmm. eh. <laughs> it's kind of like with relationships, isn't it? It is exactly. It is a real other relationship. You know, your your partner tells you you need to do this. Okay. Now it's like, well, and and it's hard because now I have to look at people and go, I never liked you. <laughs> Does that become more clear? Does that become more clear? Yes. Now? Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, and, and think about that. You know, I've been sitting with it and going, I never liked you. And, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> you know, because I, I just, I can't like everybody. And everybody can't like me. And they're just personalities that won't get along. So accept that too. <laughs> That's okay. And, and I say the same thing, you know, there's some personalities that you just won't get along with. And we are, we put the pressure on ourselves to be perfect or to like everyone or to be good, especially women. We got to have that passive aggressive thing. You know, we, we're told to be nice. Oh, yeah. Told to be, you know, we're not kind. And, you know, we're not giving them a chance. And I remember reading, um, I think the author's name, the book is called The Gift of Fear. And he was a forensic psychologist that, that researched rape victims. And he said, you know, one of the things that made the difference on survivors of rape and non-survivors was their instinctual intelligence. that They could trust their gut instinct instead of their mind programming. Because the gut told them early, danger, go, when they had a window. And, but their mind would say, oh, yeah, but he's probably a nice guy. You're not giving him a chance. And you know, what would your mother think? And, and that got in the way of their safety in there. And so the story that was told from the outside affected you know, all the things in the system that said, hey, pay attention. Because the, I've learned the instinctual brain is the biggest one we got. And that's the one designed to protect us. So we have to listen to us first before we listen to the voices in our head. And when, when was the last, like, what was, what's an example of the, a time you've done that just now in the last few days? Mm. <laughs> not getting out of bed <laughs> yeah my mind is going you gotta do this you gotta do that you need to call that one you need that. and then my body goes yeah right <laughs> yeah sure you do it's kind of a joke it's kind of a laughing running joke okay mind go 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 and um i have one of those 
I, I don't call it a monkey mind. I like my that it has lots of things it wants to do. And I, I know I can't do them all. It's just like, you know, every party is a good party. So why yeah. not? Um, yeah. And especially in the morning when I wake up, and especially in the morning when I wake up and I'm not in pain, mm. um, then I'm like, oh, I'm fine. Oh, I can't wait to do that. Oh, I'm going to start this project. Oh, I'm going to do that. And my mind is just happily floating along. And then I sit up and I'm like, oh, <laughs> hello. There's more than one mind. And um, I got to respect the whole thing. Yeah, so been, I've been go. asking that a lot lately is how do you know when, mm-hmm. when we're listening to the intuition mind, the one that means well, mm-hmm. or the fear ego one? And sometimes it's, it's very hard, especially when making decisions. I think because a lot of people say, well, don't trust ex- how you feel all the time. You might be scared, but it might be a good fear. So how do we know that difference, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, heart and gut are feelings. They're not thoughts. So the mind is a thought. You know, spirit is something else that may come from, you know, an inspiration after meditation, waking up or having a dream, you know, or you know, hearing your grandmother's voice in your head, that kind of thing. Um, gut instinct is, has its purpose. It has uh, fight or flight or relax or, you know, it, it, it has its role to play. Heart, it just wants to feel good. You know, heart is just, it's, oh yeah, that's, that. It, to me, the heart is like a dry, a steering wheel. It's like, oh, that looks good, you know. And it, it, it could be steering me to chocolate. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> it could be the steering direction because it knows there's a response that the body likes. And it has a memory, sex, the sexual intelligence. I can't forget that. That's a big brain. That's another brain that operates. And we often get that one confused as it's our heart. I'm like, mm, it's your boner. <laughs> it's your boner because <laughs> it wears off. <laughs> yeah. And then when so, it wears off, we can regret and it. it. Or appreciate it. Or, you know, it's like good chocolate, like a good Sunday. It was good while it lasted, you know. And then we pay for it with the weight. We pay for it with the stomach ache, you know. And so we don't always listen to all of us. We listen to part of us. And because I have learned we have five brains, five areas of neural clusters. And I'm like, oh, okay. So listening to all of them matters. It's not just enough to follow the heart. I did that in my last relationship. Oh, that painful. And it was interesting and very, very painful to say. And he was the one that recognized it first, you know. And when I talked about the five intelligences and having those in common, you know, we spiritually and you know, in, in alignment together? Are we intellectually in alignment? Are we emotionally in alignment, instinctually and sexually? And uh, guess what? We only had one, and that was the heart. 
And then I had to say, and he had to say, heart was not enough. And that was how everything we've been taught has said no. Love will conquer all. And yeah. I'm like, eh, that's the saying. <laughs> that's the saying we all buy into. But no, it doesn't. Because there's too many divorces. We know it didn't. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're, the reality and the fantasy or the idiom, the saying, don't line up. And so when you look at them and go, okay, well, why don't they? And because there's, there's more to us than this simple thing of heart. And, and we have so few words for love. And I like the author, the English author, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the book, The Four Loves, but he writes about the five loves, family love and patriotic love and sexual love. And we understand they have each have a place in our life and that we um, respect them if we learn them, we don't get them confused. You know, we don't mix sexual love for family love and stay in a relationship too long. And those kind of things. And we have to understand, well, this is what I feel, period. And, and that honesty when you're alone. <laughs> Phyllis, we should, we should give an introduction, a little introduction on who you are. And turn on your light. Oh, it's, it's all I want to see you. Okay, that that might be better. You're you're probably so used to giving introductions on who you are, but you gave me a great introduction when we first uh, talked on Skype, and that was in January. It feels like it was a year ago. I I, I mean, I've been feeling like I've been working <laughs> with you for a year, uh, and it's only been three months <laughs> or something. So mm. yeah, I want people to know who you, who you are, like your story is one of the most interesting stories. And it's like the life of many people, not, not, not many people have mm. that much or have done that much and have been through so many transitions. So let's hear, let's hear about that. Wow. Thank you. Um, and no, I haven't really had the opportunity. I, I've been on the other, I've been on your side. I've been interviewing other people's and not getting my story. And it wasn't until my family said, you need to tell more of your stories. We need to hear them. And I went, oh, I hadn't. That's right. I've just been living them. Well, I am the fourth daughter of an African-American Air Force military family. That I was born in Maine, up north near the Canadian border. And um, my Mother was uh, mentally ill, she's schizophrenic. And being the fourth child of a schizophrenic mother is uh, challenging, to say the least. And being in a military family that didn't recognize, you know, the way they dealt with getting mental health was to give you a pill. So um, Valium was our friend in the house. And my brothers and sisters were so much older than me. The, the closest to me was seven years. And so they had a very different experience growing up and they didn't travel as much as I traveled. And we went to, oof, let's see, I was at seven military bases and two other countries growing up, Okinawa and Iran. Um, Okinawa was my first country from the age of uh, four 
to seven and a half. And that was a beautiful experience and just experiencing the Far East for the first time and wearing a, a, a Japanese kimono as a little girl and you know, getting to play dress up in a whole different realm other than what I knew. And my, but, you know, I said my first experience in Okinawa, we got there right before typhoon season. And so we got there, my dad had cans and cases of tomato soup <laughs> And we had a Bunsen burner and it rained for two weeks. And we saw the water and the water was at three feet. And we had holes in the, in the fence line at six inches and then at three feet. And I could see the water come up every day and thinking, I'm going to die. <laughs> it was like, and, and, you know, my, but my parents had prepped. And they were preppers because you had to. This is typhoon season. This is serious. And I watched the snakes climb up the pole trying to stay alive. And it was, um, so it was a bit of a shock going into a foreign country like that. And just going, oh, this is, this is real world. And this is what travel is. It's danger. It's like, are we going to live? And, and then we survived. And I fell in love with the jungle and the boombox and the beauty. And uh, the, my next country after a few military bases in the U.S. was Iran and living when the, the, the Shah of Iran was still in power in the 70s. And that was, that was very interesting because as an African or a Native American, as we say now, not uh, just African-American descendants. Um, it, was a, it was good. That was a good thing. They didn't like Americans. African-Americans, okay, y'all are cool. And so I got invited into homes, and I got to experience their culture, and, you know, welcomed as family. However, you know, as a female, again, the women were on one side, and the men were on another side. So it was like, oh. And one of the things that I remember most about that is that whatever the religion said, the culture may have done something else. You know, we love all, and of course, uh, Islam is welcoming of everyone. But you women, no, you're, you're, you don't have the same value or worth as a man. And so I saw that at 14 and 15, and I went, oh, okay, that's a different way of seeing the world. And so that was my experience in the Middle East. Uh, and then my parents, both of my parents got cancer within six months of each other. Uh, my father was a Vietnam vet, so Agent Orange was sprayed on him, and they were told at that time that you get five years. And he got five years and a month. And then I became an adult. At 15, my world had changed, and it was, I have to think of things differently. It wasn't about school or boys or, you know, you know, the pill had just come out. Birth control pill had just come out. And I did not know how to use one, but I had them. And me and my girlfriend would go, okay, let's take one and see if that'll work. And thank gosh, nobody took us up on it. So <laughs> they were still, still 15 year old birds and thinking we knew something, but we were like, uh, <laughs>
And um, it was, fun. you know, our innocence and our ignorance were fun at that time. And it wasn't dangerous. Uh, it was still, the world was dangerous. And we had to leave Iran and we came back to the States. And um, I dealt with my father dying and my mother living. Another year of high school, and then I had to go to college at 16. And I went, oh my gosh. I went to college in Dallas, Texas, and found out about the Playboy Cub. And of course, you know, I'm young and perky, my boobs are perky, and I can get in the clubs. <laughs> so they let me in and uh, partied like a Dallas Cowboy or a Dallas cheerleader with the Dallas Cowboys and um, had fun, had just way too much fun. Um, Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It was the 70s. We were um, naive and partying. So then um, 1980 came, and I was in college. And uh, some woman walked up to me and handed me a book. And I'm looking at it, and it said, Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I'm like, I had no idea what that. I was raised Catholic. I was like, what? So I read the book. And it's a hook. It's a religious track, but they're going, we don't know when the end will come. We think it could be A, B, or C, you know, pre, mid, or post-tribulation. And I'm like, oh, I better research this stuff. And so my life radically changed for the next 12 years. I became a born-again Christian. I became a missionary. I had, didn't have sex for 12 years. I did not masturbate for 12 years. After all of my sex, drug, and rock and roll in the 70s, and all of a sudden 1980 hit, and it was like, whoop, cut off. And that kept me alive because all my friends were dying of AIDS after that, shortly after that. So, so that little, you know, boring time. <laughs> of me researching. Now, one of the things I have to be grateful for is that I like researching. Yeah. And after 12 years, I kept finding holes in the story. I was like, oh, I'm not buying that line. And uh, I decided uh, after a missionary, after I went home, uh, a pastor said, you know, if every Christian just goes out and saves three people, we could all retire. The whole world would be saved. And I went out. I've done my three. I'm out. So I quit. <laughs> and I said, I'm done. I'm done. And then I had to figure out what to do with my life again. And um, what was sad, it was 1992. And, you know, we got through most of the AIDS. You know, it was there. and We knew what to do. We knew how to avoid it. But people weren't really communicating and talking to each other about sexuality. They were you know, still having sex, but they just didn't talk about it. And I just found that very sad. And one of the earlier experiences I had as, um, go back to my five-year-old story, was discovering my first orgasm at five. And that was simply by, in Okinawa, coming across a Japanese bondage room. And I was like, Wow. And then when I walked into the room, there were these images of naked women in bondage. And I was like, oh, and it was attractive to me. And I could feel my first little boner happening. I was like, ooh. And I ran home and looked and I went, oh. <laughs> turned on the water and went, oh. 
<laughs> and went, hallelujah, you know, had that experience. And I was like, who needs Santa Claus that, after that? And it was like, I have all this power within my own body. And I was just like amazed. And so I had, and my parents were great. My parents, they, when I would ask them a question, they'd say, look it up and read. And so that really drilled in the geekiness to me of let's look at the body. There's the answers are there. It's, they're somewhere in a book. And so I grew up with looking things up about myself and my body. So it's uh, 1992, I'm back in the world. Let's, let's see how we're gonna make this work. And I remember that little bondage experience and I went, I need to just look into that again and came across um, bondage, discipline, sadomasochism, BDSM. And that opened up a door of endless possibilities. What can I say? Endless possibilities. And it taught me discipline, taught me respect. It taught me everyone's not interested in the same thing you are. Mm -hmm. And uh, 20 years of that, and I tried to be a submissive and go, okay, pine me up. But then I'd go, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> and then I went, I'm better. Let me do the time. <laughs> and, uh, that was the fun of it. You know, I let me experience it from the way I want to. And so I, I did. And, I, I, and then I became a teacher and taught. And, you know, and I would meet professional dominatrixes that had carpal tunnel syndrome. And I was like, you're doing it wrong, mama. You're hurting yourself. So it was kind of fun to go, let's, let's figure this out. Let's do this the way it should be. That was my personal life. Now, in the meantime, I went to college. I got an associate degree in fashion merchandising. I got a bachelor's degree in political science. Uh, I worked in nonprofit fields. I worked for Habitat for Humanity, building houses, environmental. Um, I worked for an entrepreneurship nonprofit. So I was a do-gooder. I mean, I come from this missionary to all of these other nonprofits. So my professional life, I was marrying the librarian. I was, you know, very clean cut still. And, and then I had that private life. And so it was wow. a nice duality. Yeah. It was nice to kind of go, and, you know, I didn't need to be professional as a dominatrix. I had a job. I'm just but having fun. Did those two um, sides of you complement each other? It did. It really, the, the, the BDSM, you know, it's like, you know, someone when you know that I know someone when I know their sexuality. I, I look at people and I go, I wonder what their kink is. Everybody got one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I say why everybody is kinky because we all have the same physical experiences. And, I, and the example I like to use that I read about was we have a loose tooth. You know, we have that tooth that wiggles and it hurts, but we keep wiggling it over and over again. Why? Because we get a, what we call an endorphin hit because it hurts, but then the body gives you a little endorphin, which is a feel-good drug. And so you stimulate it, and then you get the feel-good drug. You stimulate it, and you get the feel-good drug. So it's the same with spanking. It's the same with, you know, with a whip. You know, you, you can bring up the levels of intensity, but it's the same thing. It's called endorphin rushing. 
So that's what really a lot of be, and it can be mentally, you know, we like fear. Why are scary movies great for dates? Why? Because when you go, oh, and you go, oh, and you hold on to your partner, right? You go, oh, I need, I need comfort. I need that nurturing. I need to feel safe and okay. So we get off on the fear. Mm-hmm. And then we, okay, we learn how to play with fear that way. And so you learn that and you go, I see what you're doing. So in my professional world, I get to understand people by what makes them afraid. And going, okay, is it you know, a loss of pride, loss of ego, loss of money? And you get to watch people's behaviors that way. And it is um and it gets pretty basic, you know, heart, mind, sex, gut. It's like okay <laughs> we're not that complicated of a species after all <laughs> so, um, well, how would you advise someone to tap into those fears like how how do we observe that when we're working with someone when we get to know someone how do we notice those fears you know it, it, they come up you know i say it, it takes six months to two and a half years to really get to know someone and so I'm like, please don't make any commitments until you're at least six months because you can't, I mean, you know, we take a shower, put on our nicest clothes before a date, right? We don't let them in our house to our messy place and see how we really live until we have a level of trust. And so each, as we build trust, that's what we're supposed to do. And, and you can see it in nature. Nature does the same thing. You know, I love the old uh, national geographics that would talk about, you know, the fish would be sitting there and the female fish and all the male fish comes around and, you know, and she's like, nah, <laughs> nah. But she knows something. She can smell something. She can sense something. She's got a mate. Now for mating, it's easy. And I mean, it's easy to have sex with anybody, you know, you just have a couple of drinks, great day, boom, boom, you're in bed. Yeah. Um, and so all you've done is gotten to the sexual connection. You haven't looked at your instinct. And with instinct, interesting, with my partner, we would both get irritable bowel syndrome with each other. We spent too much time with each other. We both got uh, upset stomachs. And it was just the most annoying thing. And then to have to admit, oh, we're sick of each other. <laughs> that was the oh, that's what's going on. Or, you know, and, and we get tired of the smell of each other. That's another thing that our bodies do that we're not even taught that our bodies can no. do. That, oh, oh, we can get tired of the smell. Yeah, we're, not, we're not conscious we, of that at all. No, no, we're not. And, and so we don't, we think it's us. Yeah. Or he's done something, or he's cheated. Oh, let's not even go with the monogamy belief system. And then that you have to be faithful to me forever. And, Tell me about that. You know, oh yeah. <laughs> um, we're told because we we live in a culture and our religion is said instead of living in tribal communities and supporting each other as a community, that you live with just two people trying to raise a. Uh, are, because we were agrarian, we lived on a farm, we fenced in our land and we fenced in our women and our children and said, I own this. Well, these men were allowed to say, I own this. 
And so women had to fight for rights to have freedom because there wasn't a divorce because it was not legally allowed. And it wasn't about we got along or liked each other. No, you got to raise, you got to farm. It's a business. It's not about emotion. And so the connection now, and other cultures the same. When you look at India and China, they looked at, okay, we're going to marry these kids off together because we have, they have a purpose to do something and build something. But the beautiful thing is they're not alone. They're not stuck in um, isolation that you have to figure it out just the two of you. And so the problem comes, and I, so I don't want to pick on the religion because all religions have a little spin on how we, just the two of us, do that. But it, the pressure becomes that all emotional, physical, intimate um, relationships and fulfillment have to come from one person, period. Now, do you eat the same food every day? No, because we get tired of that. Do you want to wear the same thing every day? No, because we like variety. And to say, people go, well, how dare you say you don't have variety of a partner? But really, you, there's only one man that ever looked good ever? Or, you know, one? Just, and, and if you lose that one, what's that? The end of your life? <laughs> like, uh, okay. And, and so having to... Um, allow yourself to feel options, feel other things without guilt is the part that becomes a challenge for us when we have been told you can only love one at a time. We're serial monogamous. Right. We can love one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. Polygamous, work it out, try to do two, and that's even more complicated. But it's, it's that belief the programming that says this is how you have to train the rest of your body yeah your body sometimes rebels is the problem yeah your body rebels and especially if you don't even see eye to eye you know you don't even have the same goals how cruel it is to be with a partner that doesn't want to do what you want to do i'm like no i mean that's just you know that's picking out the movie he wants the violence, you want the love story. How are you going to work that out? You know, is it always going to be that? And, and that energy that always fighting? I'm like, that's hard. That's hard to do. And so if you take the time, I'm, I like the 40s, I think was the best time in, in, uh, because of World War II. People had to date online, and online, had to date by letters, had to get to know each other by hearing their stories, right. what they were about, and why they liked this or that, right. and fall in love with that person and go, you know, I can, I can work with that. I can work with that. And, and those are the successful relationships. I was talking to a, a mom and her daughter, and she wanted her daughter to have a, a relationship that will last 50 years. And I'm like, do you know any relationships that have lasted? Well, I've read about them. I'm like, yeah. Have you gone to the Olympics? You think you can do that too? Because I've read about that too. And we have this expectation of trying to do something that's not realistic. And I'm going, oh, that's programming. So if if I accept, like if I have learned about that and I understand that now and I, and I now know that it's not realistic, how do I go about that 
in the modern world where most men will want to be monogamous, especially if it's someone who wants to get married and have a family or, or a long-term partnership. How do I, how do I deal with that or approach mm-hmm. that? Because yeah, like you said, po- polygamy is also very complicated. You're bringing in three or four mm-hmm. total different uh, mindsets mm-hmm. and fears. And mm-hmm. so how do we mm-hmm. approach that right now in the dating world? Conversation. What we are really bad at as a species, all of us, conversation, Con- intimate communication. We don't ask. We make assumptions. Mm-hmm. We don't ask. We don't ask. What do you think is an ideal relationship? Mm-hmm. That doesn't come up in conversation. And when we hear something we don't like, what do we typically do? We just kind of bury it. <laughs> we bury or, we, or we've never we even bring thought it up about again. it. Or we're scared that our answer won't match the other person's answer. So we just don't, oh, you know, skip the question. We don't say anything. Yeah. Right? And that's, ooh, that's dangerous. That's, that's again, with the feminine and, and the masculine, especially in dating, we're passive aggressive. We'll, we'll tease, we'll lie to try to, you know, stimulate and, and try to make them jealous. You know, that's, ooh, that's a nasty one. And, I'm, and that's poking. That's poking. Mm-hmm. Can I make you mad? Can I make you mad? And I'm like, why? Why? You know, because I want to prove that you love me. And I'm like, oh, why do I have to prove that? Why is that my responsibility? Right. Why don't you prove that you love me? Prove it to yourself. Because we don't take, we, because we put so much effort into someone giving us love from the outside. And when we love ourselves, now here's a strange thing that said to me years ago, that, and with, I think it makes me a little weird. Um, and men would say this to me. You're the kind of woman that doesn't need a man. And I went, ooh, what an interesting statement that was. The kind of woman that doesn't need a man. I said, well, and I'm thinking, well, of course not. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm a responsible adult. I should, you know, have my own, take care of my own needs. That made the men who were attracted to me very, very, and that I was attracted to very different men and strong ego men. I had some arrogant SOBs in my life. And, and I, because I it was like, well, of course you could stand on your own. Of course you don't need me to need you. Um, and be clean, and I, so I didn't have that kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So when it's this codependent kind of relationship, you are trying to fill each other's holes, and when you spend the time working on yourself first, you got less holes. Period. You got less. Someone will do it for you, and tell you you're okay. And I found that. If I proved it to myself in my work and what I believed and what I did and took chances and, and I was raised traveling, so traveling wasn't a, a you know, I was, I was, a, I, I, I was a baby. I, uh, my pacifier was my passport, you know, so I was like, traveling was, that fear was not in my life. And so I had less fears and really facing my fears myself was the best thing I could do to me, for me. And I remember at 19, I, um, 
learned about repelling or, or abseiling in Australia, you know, going off a cliff. And it was the most interesting experience was when I got up to the, to the mountain, I was here and I was like shaking and blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as I got to a 45 degree angle, all of a sudden the fear went away. And I went, oh, brrr, came down, did it up again. And I realized there was this little space of fear. But then I could get through it. And so then I, I, that taught me a really big lesson, that fear is just something you go through. It doesn't stop you. It's just something you go through. That fear of rejection, you know, if you get on stage, if you perform, any of those fears that make your, that your instinctual body goes, ah, yeah. you just deal with them. Yeah. They're, they're there for a reason. And yeah. when you in alignment with the rest of you, you go, ah, oh, yeah, no, okay, we can get through this. It'll be okay. There's a whole cool body <laughs> that we have that's here to help us if we can just trust it. And when it comes to a partner, you know, he shouldn't make butterflies. Butterflies should first happen. You should feel it in the body and it's either sexual or you know the tummy or the heart goes whoop, and there you go Ooh, what just happened here and and then you look and then you go is that and i said you know it's not love at first sight love at first scent it's a smell mm-hmm. they have a, a mating smell that you go yeah and then sight goes oh and then you see what else you got know but there's five brains to work on so you want to keep looking you know, and you got to look that's the role of the feminine we raise the bar and go do i let you mate because <laughs> i gotta put up with a baby if i get if I, i'm going through this mating thing with you there's a whole process of this mating thing so am i gonna put up with this and <clears throat> for us you know we a lot of times we don't want long-term relationships we just want okay Right now, this is my partner. Right now, this is, this is my life. This is, this is what I'm doing in my 20s or in my 30s. And that's how I used to break it up. Okay, in my 20s, there's no way I was getting married. You know, I didn't get married until I was 40 because that's when I set my goal for. I said, okay, I'll be ready to settle down then. So it was all about the let's have a good time and um, enjoy. And, and I focused on my career and I did the other things I wanted. Because what I heard women say, married women, talk about their regrets. I went, ooh, you know, they got married too young. They never got to have that career. Yeah. They didn't get to do that. And they were frustrated and angry. And guess what? They took it out on their kids. And that was sad to watch because I, I saw that. And I went, oof, that's, I went, that shouldn't be. You know, that's not the way this is supposed to go. You don't take this out because you didn't fulfill your life. Yeah. That shouldn't be. So it was those lessons. And I went, oh, pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. What those people say. And if you have the, if you're one of the few that have happy parents and lived, you know, a 50 year happy marriage, then you go, okay, that's how you do it. Um, 
most of us don't have that. <laughs> or, or they do, but they don't have a very, they don't have a happy, healthy <sighs> marriage. You know, they're not I, sleeping in the same bedroom anymore. They're not having sex. There's no yeah. communication. There's no actually spending quality time together. They're just being mm -hmm. in, the, in the same space, mm -hmm. but there's no connection. Right. And, They've done what they had to do. Yeah. They've done their requirements of the contract to stay together because they're locked in a contract mentally, emotionally. And I'm trying to do that. And you see unhappiness and you go, oh, I don't want to do that. And we have that pendulum swing. You know, I'm not going to do what my parents did. So I do the opposite. And, and then that's the problem too. And we really have to find that balance. And the balance is understanding both sides and going, well, where do I fit in the middle? Yeah, and sometimes you just kind of go on all sides to understand where you like it better. I, I find I do that a lot with dating people. If I'm dating a man who's very outgoing, then I'll go to the complete opposite kind of man. If he's very business oriented, then I'll go to the artist type and then that's too much. So I'll go, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I find that people do that with dating as well. Right, 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 right. And um, even when we, you know, when we look at men, or, partners period and we look at what they've done with their lives you know are they what kind of professional they are and you know especially because we have a the artist and we have the business person right we, we've got to make a choice and if you don't have a balance of the two then i'm going ooh, ooh. <laughs> you know you got to have that art because if they're not creative they're going to be frustrated and if they're frustrated, they're going to have to go do something else to get deal with their frustration. And if you are not the satisfaction in their lives for the time, then you'll, they'll find somebody else. And you know, it's hard. I, 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 you know, I go, oh, take your time. That's what I'm saying. Like, take your time. Because you living with someone for a long period of time is work. Oh yeah. Period. So if I it's meet hard. someone and if I meet someone and we have the conversation, um, but there's a couple holes and that's com that conversation that conversation has been had. There's a couple holes where where I'm really happy with this person, but they don't satisfy this little side of me. I'm willing. Do we settle or do we fill that hole somewhere else? You know, or, or do we just have to put everything on the balance and, 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 and understand that we can't have it all? Ooh, settling. That's a good word. I love that first word. Do we settle? Most of us do. Just in actuality, we do settle. We, yeah. we put up with it. Yeah. And we go, yeah, well, we're not perfect. So we take that. But I go, it's a checklist. There's five basic things you got to have. You got to get along in five areas. You can't do that. You're screwed. It won't last. And, and those intelligences, those five ones, if you cannot get along in those areas, they are going to cause fight. Period. Okay. What and are it's they? That basic spiritual, intellectual, emotional, instinctual, and sexual. You got to get along and those, the more, the better, the, the less, the more fights. Right. It's okay. just the math problem. 
dude, the math don't add up. He's like, you better do the math before you emotionally engage. Okay. Because once your heart's in it, oh, you're screwed. <laughs> oh, that heart gets you and you're like, yeah. <laughs> Can't help yourself. Or yeah. the sex is good. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard a divorce lawyer say, you know, when, when couples are having sex, they're not getting divorced. Because they choose to overcome all the reasons they dislike each other. Their passion brings them together. And, and unfortunately, sex wears down. You get tired of sex with the same person. They could say that. Yeah. So but especially you women, our sex drive goes down a lot faster than the man so how do we deal with that you know if we want to we want to stay in the relationship we love the man but we don't want to have sex with them anymore it's just not that exciting more of a chore do we have a conversation about that and then work around doing new things yeah and then we'll get jealous and so you have that conversation before you get to that stage in your relationship because because if how will you need to know that question when you're dating? How will you deal with? Are you mm. the jealous type? Mm. Is jealousy and violence in your family? You know, you will you will slap me if I look at another man. Uh, hold on, bro. But is it okay for you to look at another person? Uh, hold on. So how do we deal with this? Where do we come from in that belief system? Because that's gonna say it tells you history and probability and if you choose to ignore it okay okay so you know, it, it's, but it, it's great to just know yourself what your flaws are what like what you said about what your holes are what your fears are you know knowing how you respond naturally you could control it but if you're honest about that with yourself and with the other person then right. you, you can and it's real simple women want to feel safe you want to feel safe you open up your legs when you feel safe. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's basically how it works. You feel safe and you feel good because we will hold a grudge and not realize we're holding a grudge. You know, he didn't pick up the kids when he, for three weeks in a row and you're still mad and, you're not, and he wants sex. And you're like, I'm still mad about that. We didn't resolve that. And that's that buildup that happens because we don't have honest communication. We're not radically honest with us. We don't know how to be radically honest. And if we choose, and then there's a nice tool. There's a great tool because we, because we don't have those natural tools, we have to make them up. And the, the Hawaiians have it. It's called Hopoponopono. And it requires you, it, it brings you back to zero point where you don't, you're not mad at each other anymore. And it's four things. Once you realize, okay, we resolve this. You got to say four things to each other. First, you got to admit, okay, I am mad at you because of this happened, and I was expecting this and this, da 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 da. And then you each say to each other, you have to. If you can't get your partner to do it, then you have to do it alone. But it, it doesn't make the relationship last any longer. But it does allow you to get over it. And the four things are: I'm sorry, I screwed up, and it's not a sentence. I'm sorry. Period. I'm sorry for blank. Why? Please forgive me is the second sentence. The third sentence is thank you. 
for bringing this shortcoming up in me. It, it brings down the fight, right? You know, we know how to, hey, you can do that, you can do that. But we don't learn how to de-escalate a fight. And it starts with apologies. Ego, admitting our ego, admitting our greed, our selfishness, our fear. Yeah. Coming clean. This radical honest thing is just coming clean and coming out. Like, oh, okay, I did that. And the, here's the best part about a relationship and the value of relationships. I'm, I'm still all pro relationships. But there is a, a main thing you got to pay attention to. It has a, the purpose, the primary function of relationship is to help each other grow faster. And how do you do that? Rubbing. Mm. That friction. That pushing each other. That poking each other. I mean, you know, leave the toilet seat up long enough, we're going to get some friction. Not doing the dishes long enough, we're going to get some friction. So those kind of things are going to come up naturally. Just spend time with someone. They're going to get on your nerves. <laughs> so that's, that's the beauty of like, okay, I brought this person in my life to help me with this area. Now, what am I going to deal with it? Because this irritates me and I want to point the finger at him or her, but it's really me. Mm -hmm. Nobody can trigger you. You just, it's your shit. <laughs> it's just your shit. You get pissed off, it's your shit. Because <laughs> you're not perfect. <laughs> and that's what they're there to do is point out your imperfections. And then if you are good at the game of relationship, then you accept it. And you go, oh, thank you for pointing that out. Thank you for showing me my weakness. Now, Finding a partner to do that with you takes some work. You know, it, it's that conversation of how much do you, why do you want a relationship is always the first question I like to ask. Why? What's in it for you? What do you want to get from this? What do you, what do you see your long-term goal? And if it's, you know, I want the wife and the kids and the family and the nana, it's the program. You bought into the program. I'm like, well, what do you do about fights when you don't get along? Do you really want to stick with the program then? And then why do you want the relationship? Then, you know, when it doesn't work, then why are you in it? So then it takes it to another level. So you push the envelope of asking good questions of yourself first. Why do you want the relationship? You want to feel safe. You want to feel protected. A man's arms around you, oh, that's the best feeling in the world. Who doesn't want that? I'm like, yeah, of course you want that. That feels good. Um, but it's not every day. And I can't expect that every day. And sometimes that man needs me to put my arms around him. And or he needs someone else's arms because he's tired of me for some reason. Or I've gotten fat and I don't want to give him sex anymore because I'm mad at him. And yeah. We, we buy into the safety forever and they buy into sex forever. And neither one of us are happy because we don't get our contract deal. Contract gets broken. Like, oops. And they don't say that when they're putting a ring on the finger. You know, I would love and cherish you. Not that I'm going to have sex with you every day. That, that never comes up. We don't bring that up. Not that I'm going to pay your bills for you every day. We don't, we don't go to the fine detail. We just kind of... You know, well, it's not story. romantic. People don't want to have that no. conversation. It's, it's not romantic, but definitely. You, you, you say we should have that conversation within the six months of dating someone before becoming exclusive or getting serious or 
entering a long-term yes 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 not exclusive at least for six months. six months at least for six months you will learn so much in six months and then you go i know who you are you know you're, you're more like a friend with a bit of it you know you put them in that category but it humans take a while we're kind of a slow species you know it it takes 18 20 years to raise a kid so it's like we can't we don't do everything quickly and so putting the pressure on us to in this fast world to make decisions this is the one you'll miss a few things it's just a lie basically yeah we we label it and lie and go okay you're mine what do you mean mine <laughs> we lie so going now to your beverly hills life married and then the kundalini awakening like how you even got into that yes Seven years in the marriage i decided to go to burning man in 2012. Whoa, my husband doesn't want to go okay have a good time i wake up one morning didn't know what a kundalini was and never heard of it and um i just said yeah, and Burning Man's one of those places, it's like, it's a manifestation laboratory, is what I like to call it. And that morning I said, today I want a full body orgasm, because I'd heard about it. And I went, I need me one of them. <laughs> like, I'm here single on my own, permission for my husband to explore. What happens at Burning Man stays at Burning Man, that kind of thing. And boom, uh, within four hours boom it happened and the circumstances were just you know, i was wandering along found a guy who was doing massages for women and washing their hair as well but he'd run out of water so he was just doing massages so i said yeah nice guy uh he was a sailor and he brought all this equipment and he was not a professional masseuse at all and, but he was such a comfortable being to be with. He had no fear, no fear. And so I said, you know, but you helped me with this little thing. Right? <laughs> I don't know how, but, and he goes, okay, sure. And so we were rubbing, I'm laying on the table. He's not having sex. He is masturbating me. And then, boom, it hit. And it was like a freight train of energy going through my body. And I just went, <gasps> and all I knew was to kind of bring the energy back into my body. Because I, you know, I felt like, you know, like the cartoons when your eyes pop out and their ears steam out. Like that's how it felt. And I was like, oh my God, what was that? Not pleasant. The orgasm launches it, but not pleasant and, and very intense. And so I walked away from that and I just thought, I don't know what just happened, but all of a sudden it felt like all the light bulbs had been turned on inside my body. And I went, oh, and I could see things differently. I understood the, this mental, emotional, and like, oh, and it's just like you were stupid one day and you were smart the next day. It was that big of a shift that you went, oh, I get it. Or you understood math problems. You know, I hated math. But so all of a sudden, I, I get it. I can do a parabola. I get the math. Wow. The light bulb went off. And then from there, I got really curious. And I was always a geek about the body and learning anyway. So I went, well, what just happened to me? 
because this is, I, I, I couldn't believe it unless it hadn't happened to me. From then I could hear voices and going, oh wait, there's somebody talking to me here. And then I'm hearing a voice telling me, come here and study this and you should look into this. And I'm going, okay, yes. And doors open. And I would like to say magic began to happen. Because what I've learned is that we are these, we have thoughts, they're electrical, emotions are magnetic. And when a thought happens and we think of it long enough with an emotion, the, the magnet of the emotion brings the reality to us. So we call it manifestation magic, but I'm like, no, it's natural. Mm. When you think of something long enough and you put enough emotion to it, it comes to you. Now, the problem is it works whether it's positive or negative thoughts. And you can magnetize to yourself your fears, your worries, your doubts, because you thought about them long enough. You're, you know, and, and for two years, I, I, I never saw the movie The Secret. And then I, but I read everything. And I said, how come when I say something, I don't want this to happen? It would happen. I was like, but wait, I was focusing on what I don't want instead of focusing on what I do want. And that's when I always say the challenge I always have with Christians, they pray about the things they don't want. And I'm like, your mind is on the negative. And so you're going to, of course, you're going to magnetize. It has nothing to do with Jesus, belief, faith, or anything. Your mind is magnetizing the negative. So it's just kind of like, it's a, it's a math formula. You know, think of it that way. Like, you got the formula wrong. You got to focus on what you do want, not what you don't want. And so when I had that experience, that changed my life. And it made me decide to leave Beverly Hills and leave my acting career and go to Thailand and say, you know, what do they know that we don't know in the West? And all I had was, you know, Christianity. And, you know, I had a little bit of Tantra from California, but I said, there's got to be more to this. It's just frustrating being ignorant. That's what I did not like. I hate that. So Thailand taught me you know, what the Buddhists do and karma and dharma and all of that, you know, and earning merit and doing better in life and being kind and being supportive. What traveling to other countries, going to South Africa and going to Europe and going, well, how are y'all getting along? How are you making the spiritual, the emotional, all these other things work together? Because again, I, as a kid, I kept seeing the conflict. And Muslims say one thing and then they do another thing. And I, I kept seeing these conflicts. I'm like, huh? How do we make this conflict? And then I realized, oh, it's in us. Back to us again. We're not in alignment with ourselves. Our mind says one thing, our heart says another, our sex says another. Back to that again. No matter what someone tells you on the outside, if it's not in alignment, your heart, your mind, your sex, your gut, your intelligence. It's a conflict internally. And that's where you have to solve the problem. Everything is there. It's a trigger. A trigger will tell you where your conflict is. Oh, it's an emotional conflict. Oh, it's an intellectual conflict. Oh, yeah, it's a spiritual conflict. Then you work on it, right? But it's all of them that work together that you go, ah, oh, yeah, okay.
I'm good. I'm good. I can feel it. I'm relaxed. I'm not triggered. I'm happy. That's balance. It's balance in you. It's not being swung from one person, one thought to another. It's right in here. And you go, okay, I'm good. And which is nice because then nothing shakes you. Oof. Talk about be solid. Talk about be grounded. You ain't bothered by nothing. And you can watch the viruses, the pandemics, the wars, and go, yep, that's out there. Right here, I got, I got more food than I need. I got, I got money in the bank. I got a purpose. I got a joy. I look cute in this dress. You know, all these things are happening. I feel good. You know, the heart to me is the best measure. If it feels good, we're laughing. We're laughing. It ain't happy. Pay attention. Pay attention. You have a meter. You have your own meter of wellness. You don't need somebody to teach you. You can just feel it. You can check it yourself. And, my, and you know, it's sad to me right now um, because of all the, the Facebook posts about where are these stats coming from? How do you trust this doctor? How do you know this is true? People want to be told the truth. They can't. They have no internal guidance system. They want to be told. And it's like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Sorry. How do we do that? How do we learn to start trusting ourselves, listening to ourselves? Where does a person start if they have mm. no connection to an internal mm. voice whatsoever? Mm -hmm. um, ask the questions. Why do I believe it? Why does this feel true? Um, why should I trust this? And what happens if I don't? You know, because you, you have to make a decision on the information you accept. You have to make a choice. If I believe it, then I do this. If I don't believe it, then I do this. What feels right? You know, it's an internal check. You know, there's a kinesiology teaches us how to do muscle checking. I mean, raise the arm and, you know, on, off, and I use it with the fingers. And we can't trust our own mind. We can trust our body. We can trust our instinctual intelligence. We have other brains that work. You know, with men, it's really easy. Like, say, you guys get the Peter meter. You know, if, if you're, you don't get an arousal, she ain't the one. <laughs> it's real simple. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, yeah, nope, didn't work. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, well, our Peter meters are, are manipulated by our minds. And that's the problem with us. We can't trust our own mind because we have not been trained. So we have to practice it like everything. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? 10,000 hours of practice is usually how you get there. So we have to practice asking ourselves the question, do we believe this and why? Because we want to. Because that way, a lot of times we want to believe so we don't have to think anymore. We just lazy. You know, there's that. And, and that's a hard thing because uh, that laziness factor is we just want to make our lives easy and we don't want to push ourselves. And I'm like, okay. You wait to be pushed. And then you just kind of, oh, I don't like being pushed. <laughs> I want to go the other way. Don't push me. 
takes work. But when we want the best for ourselves, when we love ourselves, and we like ourselves, there's a lot to be said about liking ourselves and maybe starting there. What do I need to do to like myself? And and then we tap into a feeling that we can go, I know that feeling. You know, when we know when we get to that exhale, you know, the body relaxes. It doesn't, doesn't have that tension in the shoulders. You know, we are not aware of our own bodies. And so when we become more aware of it, and we can trust the feelings in our bodies to direct us. That's probably, probably the safest place to start. You gotta know, how do I feel? Which one gives me more anxiety? Mentally, you know, does it allow me to shut down and not think about it? It doesn't allow me to feel good about everything is right with the world, in my world, not the world, my world. And I said, the world is only the things you open up and see. And sometimes so, it's, it's, too, it's accepting that there, there'll be two feelings at the same time. If I go this route, I, I'll feel better, but I'll also feel the loss of this, this, and that. It, it's not like perfect. You know, like in the process when you left your husband and you left Beverly Hills, was that just smooth and okay, I know I have to do this, bye-bye? Or was there some pain with that? Oh, yeah. And like, there and was it pain. Yeah, there was pain, but I learned Hopoponopono. And I had to go that, be honest. I learned radical honesty. And I learned to be honest with him and myself. And I said, we can ignore the problems. We've been doing it for 12 years. <laughs> we can be honest. And, and we didn't have the pressure of the children, the business. And so we could just be honest and go, are you happy? And, and then the sex had died six years ago. So it was like, okay, who are we, who are we kidding? <laughs> who are we kidding? You know, we're going to play this game. Oh, and, and we didn't want to cheat. And that's one thing I respected. My husband and I never cheated mm. because we were honest with each other. We said, I want to see other people. Okay. We both allowed that. And that was hard. And we tried the polygamy and that was hard. <laughs> It works if you're both dating at the same time. It doesn't work if one has got somebody in the other. It's like you sitting at home getting pissy and they're out having a good time. I don't care how loving you think you are, you're still going to be pissy and jealous. And it takes a whole heck of a lot of maturity to get beyond jealousy. There's another beautiful word that comes out of the polygamy community called compersion, which means the opposite of jealousy. Mm-hmm. Meaning that you can celebrate someone's love for finding other love. Now, is that possible? Well, it is for parents because when you have that second child, you don't kick the first one out. <laughs> you, you expand your heart. And you, have, you can love more than one. So you know it's possible, but we didn't think it was possible. So we were like, no, because we have fear. It means I'm going to lose my house, I'm going to lose my car, I'm going to lose this partner I'm sleeping with, I'm going to lose, 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 instead of gain, gain, gain. 
And so that's a hard one. And so that's why I said it's not easy to do, but there's, and it, it takes maturity. And if we haven't done the work on ourselves, we don't get mature. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. We ignore, ignore, ignore. You know, I'm just going to go Tuesdays and play bingo, and Friday I'm going to go out with the girls, and Saturday we go drinking. Our routines, because we haven't pushed each other to grow. Remember, the purpose of relationship is to grow faster. So if you're not growing, then you're settling. Mm-hmm. If you made it to here, you rock. More about spirituality, truths of our society, and all about facing death. I'll see you in part two. Bye.